everyone, and welcome to the July 17th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our top stories. Protecting privacy rights of injured workers and employees in general is a major concern for claims administrators and employers. The implementation of privacy rights in California began in 1972 when California voters amended the California Constitution to include the right of privacy among the inalienable rights of all people. Since then, the California legislature has adopted specific mechanisms to safeguard California's privacy, including the Online Privacy Protection Act, the Privacy Rights for California Minors in the Digital World Act, and Shine the Light. But consumers had no right to learn what a personal information a business had collected about them and how they used it, or to direct businesses not to sell the consumer's personal information. To facilitate that missing right, the legislature passed a landmark data privacy law in 2018, the California Consumer Privacy Act, or CCPA, into law. The CCPA gives consumers more control over the personal information that businesses collect about them. Then in November of 2020, California voters approved Proposition 24, also known as the California Privacy Rights Act, that's CPRA, which added new additional privacy protections that began on January 1, 2023. Businesses that are subject to the CCPA are those that meet the complex criteria established by this law, and if so, they have several responsibilities, including responding to consumer requests, giving consumers certain notices, explaining their privacy practices. It also established a new agency, the California Privacy Protection Agency, CPPA, to implement and enforce this new law, and a timeline for adopting regulations by July 1, 2022. But the agency's first set of regulations under the Act were late. Twelve of the 15 areas of regulations were not final until March 29, 2023, and the remaining three areas of regulations have not even yet been created. So the California Chamber of Commerce filed litigation against this new agency, and the Superior Court issued a decision blocking the new agency from enforcing the 12 areas that are final until March 2024. This will give businesses one year from the date they were final to transition into compliance with them. Nonetheless, on July 14, 2023, the California Attorney General announced an investigative sweep through inquiry letters sent to large California employers requesting information on the company's compliance with the California Consumer Privacy Act with respect to the personal information of employees and job applicants. And the Attorney General announced that he is 
committed to the robust enforcement of the CCPA. As a result of the pandemic, many California workers were required to work from home rather than in the employer's office. And one of them was a plaintiff named Paul Thai, who was a direct employee of the International Business Machines Company, IBM. To accomplish his duties, he required, among other things, internet access, telephone service, a telephone headset, and a computer and accessories that IBM provided to its employees in its offices. Then, as a result of a March 2020 stay-at-home order made by Governor Newsom, IBM directed Mr. Thai and several thousand of his co-workers to continue performing their regular job duties from home. Mr. Thai and his co-workers personally paid for the services and equipment necessary to do their jobs while working from home, which IBM did not reimburse. So he became the lead plaintiff in a public attorney general, that's PAGA, lawsuit filed against IBM and other employers based upon an alleged violation of Labor Code Section 2802A, which requires employers to indemnify employees for all necessary expenditures or losses incurred by the employee in direct consequence of the discharge of his or her duties. IBM demurred to the second amended complaint in that case, and the trial court sustained the demurrer, finding that the employer did not have any obligation to make such reimbursements for compliance with the stay-at-home order issued by the governor. The plaintiffs then appealed, contending that the trial court's ruling was contrary to the plain language of the labor code. And the Court of Appeal agreed with these plaintiffs and reversed and remanded in the published case of Thai versus International Business Machines. The Supreme Court said that Section 2802 of the Labor Code is designed to protect workers from bearing the costs of business expenses that are incurred by workers doing their jobs in service of an employer. And a 2007 California Supreme Court case said that the statutory provisions are to be liberally construed with an eye to promoting such protection. In ruling on the demur in this case against IBM, the trial court concluded that the governor's stay-at-home order was an intervening cause, precluding direct causation by IBM. And the court and IBM read the statute as if it required reimbursement only for expenses directly caused by the employer. But the Court of Appeal disagreed because that inserts into the analysis a tort-like causation inquiry that is not rooted in the statutory language. Instead, the plain language of Section 2802A flatly requires the employer to reimburse an employee for all expenses that are a direct consequence of the discharge of the employer's duties. Under this statutory language, the obligation does not turn on whether an employer's order was the proximate cause of the expenses. It turns on whether the expenses were actually due 
to performance of the employee's duties. And in another employment law decision, a 1996 financing agreement was found to be enough to bind Disneyland to a 2018 living wage ordinance adopted by the city of Anaheim. Back in 1996 and 1997, the Anaheim Public Financing Authority, the city of Anaheim, Walt Disney-related entities and a bond trustee signed several contracts, and they all agreed to combine resources to bring about a revitalization of the entire Anaheim Resort and the expansion of the Convention Center and the Disneyland Resort Project. The Anaheim Resort spans about 1,046 acres, and the Disneyland Resort is located within the Anaheim Resort and includes all the theme parks, hotel rooms, retail establishments, and other facilities located on Disney property. Disney agreed to build a new theme park, California Adventure, a pedestrian bridge, additional hotel rooms, as well as new retail dining, and entertainment facilities in downtown Disney. The Anaheim Public Financing Authority agreed to issue municipal bonds to raise money to help pay for the project. Everything went as planned until 2018 when Anaheim voters approved Measure L, a living wage ordinance which applies to hospitality employees in the Anaheim or Disneyland Resort areas that benefit from a city subsidy. Affected employers were required to pay their employees a minimum of $15 an hour under the ordinance starting in 2019, with annual increases of $1 an hour, and in 2023, the wage would then be tied to the Consumer Price Index. Then in 2019, Kathleen Grace and other employee plaintiffs filed a class action complaint against Walt Disney-related companies and Sodexo Incorporated, and a company known as Sodexo, which operates restaurants in Disney's theme parks, which alleged they were employed by either Disney or Sodexo, and were not being paid a living wage as required by the living wage ordinance. However, Disney and Sodexo filed a motion for summary judgment and argued they were not covered under the living wage ordinance as a matter of law because Disney was not benefiting from a city subsidy as required to be covered by this law. The employees argued that the city had issued municipal bonds in 1997 which gave Disney over $200 million to help finance the construction of California Adventure and a parking garage to serve the new park. And the bonds issued under a finance agreement will not be paid off until 2036. The trial court granted the motion for summary judgment, but the employees appealed, and the Court of Appeals reversed in the published case of Grace versus the Walt Disney Company. A city subsidy is described by city's ordinances is any agreement with the city whereby 
a person other than the city has a right to receive a rebate of taxes presently or in the future. But the word rebate is not defined in the living wage ordinance. Generally, dictionaries define a rebate as a return of a part of a payment, and this definition is consistent with California statutes. Then, under the financing agreement, the city agreed to issue these municipal bonds through that authority, and the bondholders were to be repaid based upon the incremental increases in the city's transient occupancy tax paid by hotel guests on Disney property and other properties in Anaheim. Also, sales tax paid by consumers and businesses located within Disney-owned property and property tax directly paid by Disney. And the parties also agreed that if there was any year in which the city's new tax revenues and the debt service fund failed to meet its bond obligations to the bond trustee, Disney would then make up the shortfall. Then under the reimbursement part of the agreement, the parties agreed Disney would then be reimbursed by the city for any of its shortfall payments in those years when the city's incremental tax revenues rebounded and were sufficient to meet its bond obligations. Thus, the Court of Appeal found that Disney has the right to receive a rebate and is therefore required to pay its employees a living wage. And now our crime report. The California Attorney General, in partnership with the U.S. Department of Justice, announced a settlement with the owner of one of California's largest chains of pain management clinics over allegations that he defrauded Medi-Cal and Medicare of millions of dollars. Dr. Francis Lagatuta and his businesses, Lag's Spine and Sports Care Medical Centers, which ran more than 20 facilities in California's Central Valley and Central Coast areas, <clears throat> allegedly carried out medically unnecessary tests and procedures on thousands of patients over the course of more than five years. The settlement totals nearly $11.4 million, and the United States will receive about $8.5 million. California will receive over $2.7 million, and Oregon will receive $130,000. The settlement resolves allegations that Dr. Lagatuta and Lag's Medical performed medically unnecessary surgeries to implant spinal cord stimulators. He and Lag's Medical also allegedly performed medically unnecessary skin biopsies to test patients for small fiber neuropathy. Lagatuta and Lag's Medical acknowledged that Lagatuta created what he named an artificial intelligence team of non-provider staff who were required to order at least 150 skin biopsies per week for patients without the consent of the patient's treating providers at Legs Medical. Each biopsy order stated that the patient had identical symptoms of small fiber neuropathy. 
yet those symptoms were generally inconsistent with those patients' actual symptoms. Dr. Legatuda and Lag's medical also acknowledged that if a patient refused a skin biopsy, Lag's medical told the patient they would reduce their opioid medication and instructed the patient's provider to immediately taper the patient's medications. Finally, the settlement resolves allegations that Legatuda and Lag's medical performed medically unnecessary definitive urine drug tests. These identify the concentration of specific medications, illicit substances, and metabolites in urine samples. Blanket orders of urine drug testing, identical orders for all patients without regard to each patient's individualized medical necessity for the test, are not covered by Medicare. The civil settlement includes the resolution of claims brought under the key Tom or whistleblower provisions of the False Claim Act by Stephen Kabeter, LAG's Medical's former operations director and marketing director. He will receive about $2.1 million as a whistleblower fee. And now our regulatory report. The California Supreme Court has approved a new California State Bar Rule of Professional Conduct that requires California attorneys to report any lawyer who commits a criminal act, engages in fraud, misappropriates funds or property, or engages in conduct involving dishonesty, deceit, and reckless or intentional misrepresentations. The new rule will go into effect August 1st and follow several other directives from the Supreme Court for the state bar, including updating its conflict of interest code for its board of trustees. Much of this new state bar activity seems to be the aftermath of a scandal following investigations of the organization's mishandling of ethics complaints against attorneys for several decades including many that were filed against now-disgraced plaintiff's personal injury lawyer, Tom Girardi. He was once among the most successful and powerful plaintiff's attorneys in the country. Girardi faced accusations that he'd stolen money from his clients and other lawyers for years. Later, he was forced into bankruptcy in 2021, disbarred in 2022, and was finally indicted by two different federal grand juries, one in California and one in Illinois, on charges of embezzling more than $18 million of his clients' money over the years that the California State Bar took no action against him. House and Senate members from both parties have launched at least nine bills to take aim at pharmacy benefit managers, that's PBMs, their companies that channel prescription drugs for patients. Members from both parties talk indignantly about PBM behavior and have fired up these bills to address these indignities. The Senate Finance Committee has introduced a bill that would prohibit PBMs from collecting rebates and fees calculated 
as a percentage of a drug's list price. This is to discourage PBMs from favoring expensive drugs. The committee also plans legislation to require PBMs to pass along discounts directly to seniors to allow patients to use the pharmacy they prefer and release more information about where their money ends up. Senator Bernie Sanders introduced a bill that bans spread pricing, while measures in the Senate and House would crack down on PBM practices seen as harming independent and rural pharmacies. Other measures require more transparency or limit patient waits for drug approvals. PBMs were created in the 1960s to help employers and insurers select and purchase medications for their health plans. The industry mushroomed as a prescription drug spending grew about 200-fold between 1967 and 2021. In effect, they are the dominant middlemen now among drug makers, drug stores, insurers, employers, and patients. There are around 70 PBMs in the U.S., although, as a result of acquisitions and mergers, three of them, CVS Caremark, Optum Rx, and Express Scripts, have come to control 80% of the prescription drug market, and each brings in tens of billions of dollars in revenue each year. These big three are part of a massive conglomerate with important stakes in almost every sector of healthcare. Each of them owns a powerful health insurer, Aetna, United Health, and Cigna, respectively, as well as pharmacies and medical providers. The Industrial Welfare Commission, or IWC, was established in California in 1913 to regulate the wages, hours, and working conditions of women and children employed in the state. The IWC's first order issued in 1916 and established a minimum wage for women and children in the garment industry. In the years that followed, the IWC issued a series of orders covering other industries, including manufacturing, retail, and agriculture. In 1912, the California legislature amended the labor code to authorize the IWC to establish minimum wages, maximum hours, and standard conditions of employment for men as well as women. Today, however, the IWC is currently not in operation, and the Division of Labor Standards Enforcement, DLSE, continues to enforce the provision of wage orders. However, the IWC has just been revived as a result of the new California budget just signed into law. The new budget allocates $3 million to resurrect the now-dormant Industrial Welfare Commission with instructions to convene industry-specific wage boards and adopt orders specific to wages, hours, and working conditions in such industries. The Commission shall prioritize for the consideration of uh, the government industries in which more than 10% of the workers are at or below the federal poverty level, and then final recommendations for wages, 
hours, and working conditions in new wage orders adopted by October 31, 2024. Ultimately, there is a great probability that higher minimum wages, especially in these targeted industries, will be arriving by the end of next year. The backstory to the resurrection of the IWC may have been minimally successful efforts to increase wages in various industries in California in previous years, such as the Fast Food Accountability and Standards Recovery Act aimed at fast food workers. It became law in 2022, but is now on hold pending a vote on the California ballot. However, the resurrection of the Industrial Welfare Commission by provisions of this newly approved budget may have opened a new political front on this political battle. And in medical news, according to analysis, a new analysis from the Healthcare Cost Institute, HCCI, healthcare spending is still on the rise. Latest Healthy Marketplace Index shows that median per person healthcare spending increased by 24% from 2017 through 2021, but spending varied significantly depending upon where people lived. For example, patients in metropolitan areas with the highest utilization rates paid nearly three times more for healthcare services that year than compared to their neighbors in metropolitan areas with the lowest utilization rates. The American Medical Association, or AMA, reports health spending in the U.S. increased by 2.7% in 2021 to $4.3 trillion, or $12,900 per capita. In 2020, spending on physician services grew 7%, a substantially higher growth rate compared to previous years. Healthcare studies from May 2022 found that vertical consolidation, for example, health systems buying physician practices, resulted in a 12% increase in primary care physician prices and a 6% increase in specialist prices. Research has also shown similar price increases when markets experience horizontal consolidation, which is when hospitals emerge or acquire other hospitals. Healthcare spending is therefore only expected to rise with the latest healthcare spending projections from federal actuaries estimating healthcare to account for nearly 20% of gross domestic product by 2031. The County of Santa Clara operates Valley Health Plan, which is licensed and regulated by the Department of Managed Care Care under the Knox-Keene Act. State and federal laws require hospitals and other medical providers to provide emergency medical services to anyone that walks in, regardless of the patient's insurance status or ability to pay. If this patient is enrolled in a health care service plan, the Knox-Keene Act requires the plan to reimburse the medical provider for providing such emergency care. 
If no contract exists between the plan and medical provider, the plan must pay the reasonable and customary value of the emergency care they provided. In 2016 and 2017, the Doctors Medical Center of Modesto Incorporated and Doctors Hospital of Manteca Incorporated provided emergency medical services to three patients enrolled in this Valley Health Plan. The two hospitals are, uh, did not have a contract with the county for Valley Health Care Plan enrollees. So the hospital submitted claims for $144,000 to the county for the services provided. But the county paid the hospital only $28,500. The hospitals then sued the county for the remaining amounts based on the Knox-Keynes Act reimbursement provision. The case worked its way up to the Court of Appeal, which held that the county was immune from suit under the Government Claim Act, and that no exception to immunity applied. However, the California Supreme Court disagreed with the Court of Appeal and reversed the case of County of Santa Clara versus the Superior Court. The Supreme Court concluded that the Government Claims Act does not bar the hospital's action against the county. Beverly Community Hospital Association, a nonprofit public benefit corporation, filed for bankruptcy on April 19, 2023, where it struggled to avoid closure while hoping to find a new buyer. Hospital officials said rising costs outpaced government reimbursement rates were to blame for the situation and that dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic and the rising cost of labor left the hospital in the red since 2020. Beverly had unsuccessfully attempted to merge with three systems, and hospital officials blamed the failed mergers on the review process by the California Attorney General. Fortunately, last week, the California Attorney General announced his conditional approval of the sale of Beverly Community Hospital to nonprofit American healthcare systems. Beverly provides critical medical services, including low-cost Medicare and Medi-Cal services, to the community of Montebello in Los Angeles County. So that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. We also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Skarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.